Hello and welcome to Dr. Jones's Veterinary Secrets Podcast. This is episode 85. In today's podcast, we're talking about this cat-friendly herb called catnip that has been shown to naturally repel fleas. Natural treatments for allergies that have serious promise. Lastly, the FDA warning of feeding bones to your dog. Veterinary Secrets is on all your favorite podcast apps, including iTunes, Spotify, and Stitcher. I'd love it if you subscribe to the podcast and leave a review. Lastly, I encourage you to sign up for my brand new webinar on dog health and nutrition. You're going to find out what is best to feed your dog, what to avoid, and the most important natural remedies that you can use to heal your dog at home. Go to www.thedogsupplement.com forward slash webinar to sign up. Catnip repels mosquitoes more effectively than DEET. Well, this comes from a study in which what they found that a certain ingredient found in catnip called nepetalactone, it's an essential oil, they claim that it's about 10 times more effective at repelling mosquitoes than DEET. They found not only that, but it also discovered that catnip can also repel cockroaches. Good to know. So there's a couple of specific one entomologists, Chris Peterson, PhD, with Joel Coates, chair of the university's entomology department, that's about all about bugs, and they led the effort to test catnip's ability to repel mosquitoes. So what they did is they put different groups of 20 mosquitoes in these glass foot tubes, and half of them were treat, of these tubes were treated with the essential oil called nepetalactone. And they're saying after about 10 minutes, only an average of only 20%, about four mosquitoes, remained on the side of the tube treated with a high dose, 1% of the oil. They said by comparison, the same test with DEET, that pretty serious toxic chemical, resulted in approximately 40 to 45%, eight to nine mosquitoes, remaining on the treated side. Peterson says nepetalactone is about 10 times more effective than DEET because it takes about one-tenth as much nepetalactone as DEET to have the same effect. Most commercial insect repellents contain about 5 to 25% DEET. Presumably much less catnip oil would be needed in a formulation to have the same level of repellency as a DEET-based repellent. Why catnip repels mosquitoes is still a mystery, says Peterson. It simply might be acting as an irritant or they don't like the smell. Nobody really knows. No animal or human tests are yet scheduled, although Peterson is hopeful this is going to take place in the future. If subsequent testing is showing that nepetalactone is safe for people, it's fairly easy to imagine that this can get commercialized as an insect repellent. At the very least, just knowing that it's that safe, and we know it's really good for our cats, pretty darn safe for our dogs, at the very least it can work to help repel things like mosquitoes and other critters from our dogs and our cats. It's a perennial herb belonging to the mint family, and it grows wild in most parts of the United States and Canada as well being cultivated for commercial use, i.e. for our cats. It's native to Europe and it was introduced uh, in North America in the late 18th century. It's primarily known for its stimulating effect it has on cats. Although some people use the leaves and tea as a meat tenderizer, that's good to know, and even as a folk treatment for fevers, colds, cramps, and migraines. Actually, that's another good idea for a future podcast episode. Currently, there's a patent application for the use of catnip compounds as insect repellents that was submitted last year by the Iowa State University. I'd love to see how this turns out. And at the very least, just think of, you know, starting to offer more catnip. Like just include this in your dog's diet, in your cat's diet. 
What a good way to naturally repel insects. What are some new natural treatments for our animals that have allergies? And these are ones that you may or may not have heard of, not likely have. They're being discussed with people and they are very much applicable for our dogs and cats. First of all, a topical cream. It's actually a homeopathic cream. People are using it, they're getting results. There's every reason to believe it may also work in our animals. It's called, the cream is called Florizone and it contains the part of a plant called Cardiospermum heliocapum. I'll put that in the description here, a description box describing what's in the podcast. Hard to pronounce, but there it is. And what it does is it helps relieve the itch and inflammation from eczema, rashes, dry skin, and skin allergies. They're saying this particular plant has been used for centuries to treat skin disorders. So these are the directions what they're suggesting. Just apply it to the affected area up to four times a day. They claim that it will temporarily relieve itch, rash, and skin irritation or inflammation. Awesome option. You know, if you've got people such as dermatologists, they're using it with people, they're finding it's effective. Every reason to believe it could be beneficial for our dogs and cats. The name of the project is called Florizone. Sunflower seed oil. I've talked about sunflower seed as an actual ceramide. And ceramides are things that bolster the skin barrier. Because we understand now that the way allergies work is there's a breakdown in the skin barrier, the allergens get through the skin barrier, triggering that whole itch-scratch cycle. There are conventional veterinary ceramides that are essentially like these types of fats that are meant to help rebuild uh, the surface skin layer. But sunflower seed oil is a really good natural one. It's very inexpensive, available to all of us, right? And it's super easy and easy to apply. And so one specific study, they looked at sunflower oil. And what they found that on people that use sunflower oil had significantly less thickening of the skin called lichenification than those who didn't. Primarily likely because they had less inflammation, they were less itchy. Every reason to believe uh, that could be helpful for our dogs and obviously our few cats that also have allergies. I mean, it's super safe being used on in babies. As far as how would you give it, how would you apply it? You could apply it topically, so sort of to- topical areas of the skin. I put three or four drops starting in the back of the neck. Then I also would be giving it orally at a dose of one teaspoon per 10 pounds of body weight daily. It's something you're gonna have to give for about two months, eight weeks to assess whether it's beneficial or not. But if you've never tried sunflower oil, I would strongly encourage you to do so. Number three, coconut oil. I've talked about it in the past too. Yeah, it's a great moisturizer. We know especially with atopy, if you keep the skin hydrated, you have less secondary skin inflammation. The skin barrier is stronger. It's less prone to these allergens penetrating. So what they have found with people is that most people with atopic dermatitis, this is these environmental allergies with these secondary skin inflammation, they also have moderate to severe um, staph bacteria on the outside of that skin. And so what they're also wondering about and, and suspecting is that coconut oil is also beneficial at, at being a natural antibacterial, helping kill that staph infection. So you, it can work both ways, act as a moisturizer, act as a moderate anti-inflammatory, and also as a natural an antibacterial sort of treating atopy in three different ways. And it can be given orally at a dose of about a half a teaspoon per 10 pounds of body weight daily. And also you can just rub it in topically, especially on locally inflamed areas of skin. The last one is probiotic. You've heard me talk 
extensively about the benefits of the probiotics um, for an array of different health conditions, and I have discussed it in the past with allergies. But I wanted to reinforce a couple different studies. They found one in 2001 study showed that when expectant mothers and then babies were giving lactobacillus probiotic, that's the lactobacillus acidophilus, that's the most commonly one, it's part of my, uh, my supplement, they found that it cut the development of atopic dermatitis in half, which is huge. And we're like, okay, so clearly there's a big link between the good bacteria in your intestinal tract, your stomach, your small intestine, your colon, and the incidence of allergy. If we can normalize those bacteria, decrease the chance of allergy. Another 2005 study, they found that you know giving it to older children with established eczema help them get better much quicker. So once again, it's not just beneficial for preventing it from happening. Number two, helping people that already have atopy. Every reason, once again, to believe it could also be beneficial for our dogs and our cats. You've got an allergic pet, also consider a good probiotic supplement. Most important to include is lactobacillus acidophilus. And I wanna make sure you're dosing them at adequate levels. So that's 100 million CFUs for 10 pounds of body weight daily. Lastly, this FDA warning about bone treats, which could kill your pet. On November 21st, the FDA issued a statement that was updated to reflect the agency, which has received about 68 reports of dogs dying or falling ill in connection with bone treats. Some reports involve more than one dog for a total of 90 dogs reportedly being adversely affected by bones. An estimated 15 of those dogs have died. Though the statement focuses on bone treats, it also mentions that turkey and chicken bones are dangerous for pets because of their tendency to splinter. Uh, they say that we regularly update the numbers around this time of the year. This was during a holiday time when they published the report. Because some pet owners cook poultry and toss the bones in the trash at holiday dinners where their dogs can get access to them. Some pet owners also choose to give their dogs bone treats as stocking stuffers during the holiday season. So we updated this article as a holiday reminder for pet owners. Now the FDA warning does not specify any particular brand of bone treats, although it does note that the list of potentially dangerous treats inc included those described as ham bones, pork femur bones, rib bones, or smoky knuckle bones. Illnesses reported include serious symptoms like diarrhea, choking, digestive obstruction, and bleeding from the rectum. The FDA vet says giving your dog a bone treat might lead to an unexpected trip to your vet and possible emergency surgery or even death. Gasp. So is this true? Do you need to never give your dog bones? Well, I regularly give my own dog bones. I think the big, big principle here is you need, if you are gonna be giving bones to your dog, one, I advise don't cook them. When they're cooked, they're brittle. If they're frozen, i.e. raw bones you've got from the freezer, they're defrosted overnight in your fridge, you apply those, I've never had an issue. Number two, if you've got a dog that likes to grab and crunch everything, like he really tries to grind that bone to nothing, okay, he's one that is not suitable for giving bones. But most dogs like to non-chew on them, get a little bit of meat off the bone, it's fine to be giving them a raw meaty bone. Third, when you are giving your dog a bone, I advise the big femur bones. You wanna make, sh make sure that it's much bigger than your dog. Avoid chicken bones, avoid bones that can splinters. But you want to be making sure one that you've had it, it's been frozen you defrost it overnight in the freezer but it's big enough that your dog can't put the whole thing in his mouth so you're getting bones that are large enough size that are adequate for your dog 
you follow all those principles, I actually feel the bones are a pretty darn good option. One, one, they're a really healthy treat. Two, they can actually help keep your dog's teeth cleaned. My own personal opinion. So yeah, I mean, there are many risks for doing many things in life. Biggest thing I suggest is being informed, making smarter choices, and taking some of the matters into your own hands. You know, such as your pet's health. Couple options as I see. Number one, you can safely feed your dog that veterinary kibble, which can then lead to an overweight or diabetic dog. You can keep on giving the regular vaccines until an autoimmune disease or allergy takes hold. You can continue to give a monthly flea and tick preventive, and then perhaps see a pet with cancer at a young age. Or option two, you can become informed and make smarter choices for your dogs. Personally, it seems like the better one to me. In that vein, I encourage you to sign up for my upcoming dog health and nutrition webinar in which I'm sharing my top natural revenues. It's happening on Tuesday, June 2nd at 5 p.m. Pacific. To sign up, go to www.thedogsupplement.com forward slash webinar. Once again, thanks for listening to this podcast. This is Dr. Jones.